Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents The Amethyst Historical Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring your hosts, Heisey Luckmers and Charlie Harrington. Delves into life, death, and everything betwixt, between, and beyond. Between, and beyond. Between, and beyond. With a clear twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts. Charlie Harrington and Heidi Wilkinson. And welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is the Amethyst Historical Divination with a Queer Twist, as you just heard. And my name is Hi C, and I will be joined here momentarily by my co-host, Charlie Harrington. And I just want to remind you that if you are interested in getting a reading during the show, you can get into the queue by Skyping in or calling 646-716-5510. And that will let you get into the queue so that you will be there and available um, when we get to that portion of the show a little bit later. And I do believe that my esteemed colleague and co-host, Charlie Harrington, is on the line, joining us here in the studio. Are you there, Charlie? Your belief is correct, I see. <laughs> I, I, I am. It, it, it went beyond faith. It went beyond faith to belief. I knew it was tangible and real. Certainly. I am doing very well. How are you? I'm great. I'm one, uh, enjoying this wonderful month of May, and I'm very, very, very excited for one of the great sheroes of the tarot world to be joining us this evening. We do like to invite superheroes of the tarot world, don't That's we? That's absolutely Sheroes and all. Uh, well, you know, in this merry month of May, my goodness, here in California, I wish it could make up its mind what it wants to do with weather. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, okay. Well, we'll start out May kind of feeling like spring. And we then can we'll have in a few Mary Ashley Lenormand. That's true. The Lenormand can you tell you see the sun or the clouds, you'll know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and... One of the things that I wanted to just mention here at the beginning of the show uh, is something that I came across. It's actually a board game uh, called Concept, but I've been very intrigued by how it connects with Tarot and being able to use it almost as a teaching tool. I've actually played around with it with one of my students to do that. And apparently it's quite the sensation in the board game world, having Mm -hmm. in uh, 2013 having won best video, uh, sorry, best board game of the year, um, and so I just wanted to explain it a little bit, just to let people know. And I think that if you uh, hear this, I, check it out because not only whether you are into tarot or not, it's a really fun game, and anyone can play it. It's very easy to pick up. So the name of the game is called Concept, and you have a board that has basically about a hundred. Um, little pictures 
that mm-hmm. are meant to represent universal symbols, universal themes. And then you pull a card, and on the card are nine different, uh, varying levels of difficulty, nine different words or phrases or things for you to try to create a concept using pictures for the mm. other team to guess. And, and then, so the playing pieces come in five different colors, and you can use the different colors to tie pictures together and then use a different color to tie another aspect of the concept together in order to start to create the links for people to get what is this combination of pictures and symbols representing. So, for example, if one of the, the um, words on the card trying to be uh, guessed by the other team is bee, like the, the insect, the bee, then mm-hmm. you might put... Um, a, a main color piece on the little symbol for animals, bugs, and insects. And then you may take that there, there's like a little exclamation point for the main piece. And then there's little cubes. So you might put the main piece on the animals and insects. So the person, it's kind of like charades. So the person knows, okay, mm. this is in the animal or insect world. And then two other little cubes of the same color you might put on the pictures of the color black and the color yellow. So now somebody putting those pictures together comes up with a word, a theme, a story, or something like that. Um, And you can do concepts and sub-concepts. So like one of the things on a card is Leonardo DiCaprio. So you can start with a bigger concept of showing that it's a person and it's a profession in the movie industry. Of course, that could be very broad. And then you can do a sub-concept where you would put another color, say, on a boat, and then a little color of that piece on the skull for death. Or you could put a whole bunch of squares for a whole bunch of deaths. So the idea is somebody who works in the movie industry that was related to a boat that had a lot of deaths on it. (laughs) So you get Titanic, but then you want the person, and so then they, they may guess. Steven Spielberg, but you'd say, no, that's not right. And then they would guess like Leonardo DiCaprio. So using it with a, a student was really interesting because, and I, I, I created this challenge for them because it would be very easy. Like there's pictures of fire and of water, you know, and so I was challenging them. I said, okay, we're going to pull a card at random, not show the other person. And then we're going to create a concept with this game to try to illustrate what that card is. Now, if it was three of cups, they couldn't just put three little blue cubes on the water color because that would be a little too easy. So okay. I was challenging the student to think of what does the three of cups mean and now create a concept from the interpretation or meaning of the card in order mm. for, say, me to guess what the card is that they had pulled. And then I did the well, same thing where I would pull a card. Yeah, that would be fun and to do at a tarot meetup. It would because... And it's a great teaching tool even for beginning tarot students because it starts to really help um, strengthen the ability to look at and connect pictures Mm -hmm. in order to understand or create an interpretation or a concept or a meaning, which is exactly what we're doing with tarot. We're looking at pictures and then we're coming up with how those pictures connect together and what concept to use the name of the game, what interpretation, what meaning that combination of pictures in a reading is trying to say. So it, it's more using it as a teaching tool to strengthen the ability 
of a person to get used to using pictures as symbol and symbols and putting them together to create a meaning without having to use any words. It's fun. And you know, if you think about it, most divination systems began their lives as games. Tarot was a game in Italy. Um, Lenormand was a game, <laughs> you know, in uh, I think Germany originally, or for Germany, France. Mary can tell you more. So it's, it's uh, you know, they because of the random elements of games, they become really great tools for divination and uh, for kind of doing that exploratory thing. Now, I've personally been playing, uh, using doing tower readings with the Cards Against Humanity, and I have to say that's fun. <laughs> I was reading for my friend, and it's the, uh, the first position, you know, the, we did the Celtic Cross, and I was like, okay, the card that rules over your past, and when the card was poor life choices, and I thought, oh, I'm onto something here with this. So. <laughs> well, and, and we're going to be talking about the Lenormand with Mary, and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody who's really been developing and playing with the Lenormand also is Carrie Paris. And mm-hmm. she came up with the, um, oh, I forget what she calls it now, but she came, it, not the Mockingbird uh, thing, but it's, uh, she has a whole bunch of little charms. Magpie and, you know, Oracle. The Magpie Oracle. And then you throw the charms onto the, the little uh, diagram tableau thing that she's created. And then you read based on what little charms have landed on what, little pictures on that tableau. And I was thinking you could do the same thing with this concept board game because you could oh, just yeah. take the pieces and toss them onto the board and then see what pictures they land on and then try to create a an interpretation, a meaning, a connection from what pictures have those have landed on mm, and how they it. connect together to tell a story. You know, and so I think that that illustrates how what you were talking about something that is or was a game can mm-hmm morph into a divinatory tool. And I hope um, so I think I just, that kind of thing helps people grow as diviners just because um, when you read... How do I put this? Like you, when, well, it shakes you out of Tarot doesn't norm. work because tarot works. Tarot works because divination works. You know what I mean? It's not... I mean, right. the tarot is very useful and it's been really evolved, but you can read with anything. And this is a great way to... to break out of your comfort zone. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. Like that. Well, no, <laughs> I'm no, good no, to I go. Was just, I, I was basically saying the same thing because it, it'll shake somebody out of their box, out of their tarot card box that it came in because they may think that, oh, I wish I could do a reading for somebody but I don't have a deck with me. And it's kind of like, well, look around. What else could you use? Because really, it's about interpreting and reading the symbols and the signs. So just look around and find it. And I'm always amused when I come across something like this that seems or feels so tarot-like even though it technically isn't. So to me, and it's fun, you know, with students, it's fun to be able to play this because it actually is a really fun game just in general. Uh, And you can play it with groups of people. I mean, I've done it one-on-one, but you could easily do it with groups of people. It's actually designed for groups, you know, so because each person can be putting down pieces for the concept and they can't talk to each other. That's the rules of the game, actually, technically. They can't talk to each other, but they can each be putting pieces onto the board you know, so they're creating the concept as a group without actually verbally interacting. So everybody is having to pay attention to the symbols and the pictures and how they're fitting together and how something they want to try to bring through would fit together with that. So I would encourage people to look up. Uh, and I know it's kind of hard to find because it's such a, a basic name concept. Um, if you look for concept, the board game, uh, a lot of times that's how I found it. Um, so hopefully you would be able to find it by looking 
in that way. It was originally uh, created in France, so you could also do like concept board game French or something like that. Um, and it's by a company called Repo, uh, R-E-P-O-S Productions. Mm-hmm. So maybe also if you just include that in a search, it may come up a little easier. So I encourage people to do a little search, see what they think of that, and maybe have a little fun expanding the boundaries of what Tarot and working with symbols and pictures means for them. So, having shared that, I think we can now move right along into our conversation with Mary Kay Greer. What do you think? I think the time has come. All right. Well, then, as we are as we are wont to do here on this show, I will now give her her proper grand introduction, <laughs> and we will be speaking with Mary Kay Greer momentarily. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Listening to the Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist with hosts High C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Our guest on the Amethyst Oracle this month is Mary Kay Greer, an independent scholar, writer, teacher, and professional tarot consultant who is known for her innovative teaching techniques. With a master's degree in English literature, she first taught tarot at a college in 1974. She is the author of 11 books on tarot and on magic, including 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, Women of the Golden Dawn, Who Are You in the Tarot, and Tarot for Yourself, which made her one of the first to write about reading Tarot for oneself. In 2007, Mary received the International Tarot Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Tarot Studies and is a research partner in Le Tarot Associazione Culturale in Italy. She received the 2006 Mercury Award from the Mary Redmond Foundation for Excellence in Communication in the Metaphysical Field. 
Mary has lived in Japan, Germany, England, and Mexico, as well as in six states within the United States, and continues to travel around the world teaching. She currently writes Mary Kay Greer's Tarot blog, which you can find at marygreer.wordpress.com, which focuses on cardomanic history and research, tarot in popular culture, and tips and techniques for reading both tarot and Lenormand cards. So please help Charlie and Heisey welcome to the Amethyst Oracle, Mary Kay Greer. Welcome to the Amethyst Historical, Mary Kay Greer. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you. And uh, I don't know if you were, if you heard in the segment previous talking about that game, if it sounded like something that might intrigue you. Oh, it sounds like it would be tons of fun. I just, it's been years since I've gotten together with other people on for game nights where we. You know, I'll sit down, a whole bunch of us around a game and play it. So I'll have to try and see if I can scare up some more people and get that. Well, and I even, uh, even during your intro, I was suddenly thinking that you could take the idea of the game, but maybe use the tarot deck and like lay the whole deck out and then have pieces so that people would create concepts. So you would have like the interpretation of a reading that people would have on a card and then you would have to try to get people to guess what the interpretation is based on the cards that you are putting the pieces next to to tie them together. Well, we'll have to play it sometime so I can see exactly how you're you're thinking of it. It's, I'm thinking um, the uh, cocktail yeah. party at Bats might be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> to try yeah, that. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah. Get a bunch of girls in a room, get some drinks in them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that probably helps. Yes. When do ter- terrorists in a room not have drinks in them? Yeah. I mean, but anyway, thank you <laughs> so much for joining us. You're a major hero for both of us. I need to gush just a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> but uh, you've done so much uh, for expanding the consciousness of tarot, Mary, and I'm really thrilled that you could join our show. You've, uh, you're sort of, I know, uh, as the law says, you're the high priestess of tarot. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. And, you know, in your introduction, um, we heard that you started teaching Tarot in 1974, at least in college, in the college level. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think you've seen between then and now as one of the biggest innovations or evolutions of Tarot that you probably couldn't have even have envisioned back then as to where it might go? Um, boy, um, one thing is the proliferation of decks, and especially now that it's possible for people to do short-run decks at very reasonable prices. Um, so, you know, the fact that there's just so many uh, self-published decks as well as decks published by big publishers, um, that's, I, I could never have imagined the number that come out every year and the range of art. Um, and then the second thing I think is um, the Internet as a whole, but um, probably for me the most uh, exciting dynamic part of it is are the forums and groups 
that are available on the Internet so that people can learn directly from other others, even if there's nobody in their immediate community. They become a part of a worldwide community of people studying the cards together, and I think that's so absolutely amazing. And I would think it's also really expanded your ability to teach because now you don't have to necessarily be in physical proximity or travel to some place to be able to teach a class worldwide to people on the web. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's definitely uh, happening. I was a little slow on the uptake with that, um, just because there were so many things <laughs> to do, only so many hours in a day. But um, I've been working with Global Spiritual Studies and have started uh, doing some uh, short uh, workshops and then some longer ones, uh, both in Tarot and Lenormand. And, yeah, it's great also because um, – with the um, programs that they've got on the Internet, you can upload a PowerPoint presentation or even videos and um, and yet still be speaking live with them so that you can have an audience that is, um, or I guess a classroom rather, and they can ask questions live. Then the whole thing can be taped and sold later as a DVD. But the exciting part is that, you know, the PowerPoint presentations or um, even videos that can be included as part of that classroom experience and still have the interaction with live people. I really appreciated that uh, I got to take your correspondence course on Lenormand, and some other people who've taught have just sort of had a camera on themselves, and they talk, and that's okay. But you were able to show these fabulous layouts and then you would use color coding techniques so you could point out cards. So you could like, these are the bad cards in the layout, and they would become dark and scary. And I thought that was a great way. That, I mean, that's something you couldn't do even if you were in the room with just a deck. You, like, you were able to take it further. So I appreciate your uh, technological strides there, Mary. Well, to me, the um, tarot is always, and Lenormand, they're visual mediums. Most of us who were drawn to this form of divination are because we're very visually oriented. And I've always been interested with the idea of, you know, teaching it has to be visual and has to, you know, involve the person. Also, there's the shuffling of the cards, so it goes beyond just the visual. You know, um, you can work with a uh, spread on an app on your computer, but most of us like being able to touch the cards and shuffle them and lay them out on a velvet cloth. Um, so it's visual and it's tactile and it's conceptual, like you were talking about with that game. Um, you know, so that should be part of any kind of learning experience as much as possible. Well, and even with, you know, now for Tarot readers, uh, you know, the Internet and things has also opened up the ability to have clients around the world. And with things like Skype, you have that visual component that is not lost um, compared to, say, just doing it on the phone. Because if you want to show a person a card or show them the reading, you can do that even though they're, you know, halfway around the world versus them having to be in person in order to be able to see the cards and you're just trying to explain or describe them to them. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing with Skype because you can see the person somewhere else and, um, like you said, show the card. I um, had a Skype reading from 
one of the people who's done a lot to bring the Lenormand tradition um, out, Rena George. Uh, so I had a reading with her on Skype, and uh, she couldn't show me the whole spread very easily and have me still be looking at her. Uh, so what she did was she took a photograph with her iPhone uh, emailed it to me. I brought it up on my iPad while we were talking on my desktop. <laughs> and I thought, this is, a, this is it. This is our modern way of doing things. We're just one, one bit off from robot butlers at that point. <laughs> that yeah. Like six pieces of technology all working together to do a reading. That's wonderful. I know. I was just uh, so amazed when she said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll take a picture with my uh, iPhone <laughs> and send it to you. And I'm going, great. So, but it was cool because uh, she took a nice clear picture of the 36 cards all laid out in the, the grand tableau. And um, I could just be looking at it on my iPad and yet still um, with the Skype focusing more on her and she could pick up any card if she wanted to uh, show it to me. But we were able to talk kind of eye to eye. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of the Norman, that seems to be quite the the revolution in the divination world these past couple of years. Uh, how do you what, what's your relationship to the Norman, and how do you feel about it coming back into vogue? Well, do you think everybody understands what the deck is? Should I mention something about that first? Yeah, I think we should explain what the Lenormand is. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Lenormand's a deck that's been around since um, the 1840s uh, out of Germany, uh, a 36-card deck with very, very simple images of um, a dog, a house, a ship, uh, clover. Uh, so there's a, a, a variety across uh, an anchor. And each one of those things has very simple, direct meanings to it. Um, and they were written up with um, a little uh, instruction sheet, a one-page instruction sheet that came with the first decks. Um, as we've done research, we've discovered that actually it goes back to the 1790s um, to a multi-purpose game that was uh, developed also in Germany, the same place, um, probably in Nuremberg, uh, that both decks came from. And... Um, that those may have uh, been the images that were chosen probably came from a set of coffee ground images that were used for um, coffee ground uh, fortune telling. So there's this development. Also, um, they um, would put little playing cards up in the corner, and the playing card meanings don't seem to go with the cards in the French and English system, but as we've discovered from more research, uh, they do fit with standard German playing card meanings from the 18th century. So there was a system that they sort of combined in this, you know, multi-layered um, divination tool, uh, coffee ground images, you know, the simple images like the anchor or the house, um, and the um, uh, playing card meanings uh, into the, the system, and they would lay out all 36 cards, and what you get is this, what they call the great picture, the, the big picture of what's going on in your life. And uh, you find, if you're a woman, you find the woman card. If you're a man, you find the man card. That's your significator, and everything kind of radiates out from that place whether 
other cards are very close to that to your significator or if they're far away the meaning can change um, and what cards are in the same line or row uh, because you lay them out in rows so it's um, one of the reasons I think that uh, so many people are interested in it is that it's very direct, precise, uh, concrete. It, you can answer, you know, all the kinds of questions that we try to avoid in tarot. Like I hate <laughs> yeah. answering yes/no questions in tarot, and mm-hmm. yet that's kind of uh, one of the staples of the Lenormand readings is answering, you know, will I get into the college of my choice? Um, you when need to name happen? the college of your choice, and you should give within, you know, the next six months. You know, give a time limit. You want to make everything as precise as you can, and then you can lay out either all 36 cards or a lot of people now use uh, just a shorter selection of cards, but without precise position meanings, just a line of cards, three, five, or seven cards, and you can get an answer, um, yes or no. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, filling in that kind of predictive cardomantic um, tradition that we have gotten away from or some people have gotten away from when reading tarot because we've gotten so psychological and human growth focused. Um, with tarot. So uh, there's kind of a return to the old cardamantic tradition. I don't know if I answered all your, your questions about it or not, but that's an overview. No, no, that's, that's fine. And it, it strikes me that it seems to have really started to uh, come back in force over the past few years, kind of coinciding with when we were going through all of the big financial crisis and all sorts of uncertainty in that realm, as well as other things going on in the world. And and I'm wondering if maybe people were drawn to it because it's like, I want something concrete to hold on to. I don't need a psychological evaluation of the situation. I just <laughs> want to hear, you know, a black and white, yes, no, hard and fast answer so I know what to expect or what to do kind of thing. Because I, I feel like that's what the Normand is really good at giving. Definitely, and I think you're really on to something with that because it's um, clearly a pattern in tarot when interest in tarot has been regenerated, have been times of uncertainty. And uh, this one in particular, as you say, people are looking for some kind of concrete sense of where they are when everything's shifting under them. Right. And as tarot readers have flocked to it as a system, I know that the Lenormand word got a little shaken by um, some of us kind of probably tried to drag a bit of our tarot baggage into (laughs) that world. And um, I know, Mary, you've been a big proponent of learning Lenormand as Lenormand and not tarotifying or maybe terrorizing it. (laughs) But um, could you speak a little bit about sort of why why you have that opinion and like uh, what, what the strengths are of that approach to Lenormand or... Yeah, it's uh, what some people characterize as the uh, traditional versus intuitive divide, and which is very ironic because um, the more traditional you are, I think the more intuitive um, you actually are. And what a lot of people call intuitive is 
um, at its worst, this is not everybody, but at its worst, it's just being lazy. It's like, oh, I can say anything I want, and mm. I don't have to study at all. I can just make my own associations, and um, and I'm going to call it intuitive. Um, so that's at its worst. <laughs> there are people who are really good with oracles, who, um, you know, images, oracles, um, garbage on the street, postcards, you know, any, any tool, um, you know, a selection of ten objects uh, can be used uh, by some people to get very accurate and very uh, clear messages. So there are people who can work that way. But, um, you know, being on forums on the Internet, you get to hear a lot of interpretations from people. And, you can really tell when somebody has no idea what they're talking about in terms of the Lenormand cards and that they're not really listening to the question and they just want to give their opinion. And they'll say that they're reading the cards intuitively, but they're just throwing out their own opinions. And you can pick those people out immediately. Uh. And, you know, so that's only a small percentage of people who call themselves intuitive readers who are just, you know, that thoughtless in a sense um there have been a lot of studies of intuition in the last 10 15 years uh really serious uh studies of intuition and uh i think it's quite different than what people tend to think of it's it's not psychic that's something else although there can be some crossover um it's often uh recognizing patterns subconsciously um, and being able to put them together uh, without having to think through a process, it's without having to go through logical steps. Um, and the best intuitions come because you've got enough life experience or enough experience in the field that you're dealing with that um, all of, that those kinds of things are happening. Un- subconsciously, just below your conscious awareness. But it's not that you're not recognizing those things. You are recognizing them. You're just doing it instantaneously and recognizing or seeing a pattern. So that's when really good intuition comes in. And for that, you need life experience. You need experience with the cards. You need to know what they mean. And then you don't have to think about it anymore in that step-by-step way. It comes together automatically similar to, you know, a jazz pianist who doesn't have to think about chords anymore. Mm. But that doesn't mm. mean that they didn't learn the chords at some point. Perfect. Yeah, I've noticed if the, the people who just sort of do their own thing seem to always give the same reading. Every, yeah. every reading is, you know, be yourself, be creative, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> and it, they tend not to have, like, really insightful I, I like what you're saying about knowing the tradition before you start mucking about with it so <laughs> yeah or they start associating it with something that happened to them uh, but you realize they're talking about themselves they're not really looking at the person in front of them the uh, question that's mm-hmm. being asked in front of them one thing that happens over and over again is that somebody will ask a very specific question you know will something happen and a person will answer with advice. Oh. And that's not the question. <laughs> the question was, is it going to happen or not? Not advice. You know, if you ask advice, that's a different kind of question. And with Lenormand, you really need to be 
specific and concrete and address the question as asked because there are a variety of meanings for each card, even though they're, they're fairly set and there's, a, uh, there's usually a, a pretty narrow range of core meanings, but then a lot of associated meanings that uh, kind of uh, work off of that. And to be able to know which ones of those meanings to apply, you need to have um, either the specific uh, question or you need to have the grand tableau where the cards that surround any one card will help define that particular card, um, you know, narrow down what the possibilities are of what it means. You know, I think the, the general stereotype is that people who do divination work, tarot, whatever it is, um, are more right-brain oriented. But Lenormand strikes me as very left-brain oriented because to me it's almost like math because it's just saying that there's this plus this equals this. Now, you can have very basic math like our addition tables, but then when you're able to take into consideration the multiple meanings of each card, even those that are set by the tradition, and figure out which ones go together, then you start moving into, uh, you know, it goes from basic math to algebra, from algebra to trigonometry, depending on how complex you're able to look at it and see that system at work. And, and I think it's good for people that have kind of gotten lost in the right brain world to come to a tradition or a system like this because it helps to engage and bring back a little bit of balance in the approach. It does. It's a, and it is a discipline, especially at first. Some people say it takes seven years or more to learn what appears at first to be an ultra-simple system of card reading. <laughs> so on the surface, it's very, very simple, but those associations you were talking about and how things influence each other um, quickly start becoming very complex, and they have rules that govern how those associations are made. So it is kind of mathematical at first, but if you really concentrate on those associations, then there's a certain point at which you don't have to concentrate on them in the same kind of step-by-step way anymore. They, you start picking them up, like I said, kind of subconsciously. And when that happens, you start you know, getting that intuitive message. And if somebody says, well, how did you get that? You can backtrack and you can figure out how you got there. But when you, you say it, it's like it's all come together, but it's come together because you learned all the principles, because you, your um, subconscious eyes, your eyes subconsciously are picking up associations even before you realize that you've done that. And that does take quite a few years to get to the point where you no longer have to pick out a chord on a, a piano you know, where your hands just automatically flow from one to the other. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing with Lenormand. It's like the so, grand tableau is the blackboard with all of the calculations and formulas and all of that up there. And the mathematician can look at that and say, well, you, can't you just see all of this? It just says that, you know, gravity makes things go down. And yeah. you're like, well, okay then, great. But they could easily backtrack through all of that in order to find why all of those things connect together to mean that seemingly simple thing. Exactly. 
Yeah, and for a mathematician, there's sections of stuff on that blackboard. You know, you can have an entire blackboard filled, but there's whole segments there that were learned in particular. So it's like your your sections have been plugged in to form this larger thing. So an advanced ma- mathematician is going to immediately recognize some of the sections and see where this, that, those segments go rather than having to sit there and pick out each individual little piece. Right. And that's where you're trying to get with Lenormand to the point. There's something that's called knighting, which is um, a movement um, that's uh, like the chessboard movement of the, the knight piece in chess, where you, um, in Lenormand, you would uh, go out two cards from you'd start with one card your your significator or or a specific topic then you go two cards across and then you make a right angle turn and go one more card and uh, it probably developed as a way to kind of standardize an earlier method which was called um, counting by fives in all directions and that can get really crazy trying to figure out what those all those directions mean and where do you go and how do you count so knighting sort of standardized this uh, earlier concept um, but when you first learn it you have to sit there and count uh, you know over two and across one and now i'm going to go in a different direction over two and across one because with the grand tableau you've got the 36 cards all laid out and you can go in a lot of different directions um so when you start out you have to count all of those out and figure out what each one is if you've once you've done that enough times your eye automatically picks up the cards that night to whatever card you're interested in and you don't even have to stop to think about it you just you see the pattern and i think go ahead charlie i was going to say well so when someone's beginning when they're first approaching this i know that there's different sort of schools of thought on uh there's they seem to be broken up by nation. Like there's the French school, the German school. Uh, I wonder, is it best to just, you know, in tarot you want to like take it all in and just know everything, like, you know, read as much as you can, astrological, Kabbalistic, you know, all of that. But with Lenormand, would you recommend picking one in the beginning or is that a false, like, limitation? It's actually true both in tarot and Lenormand because oh, okay. um, in tarot you usually want to start with a particular approach. If you want to learn the Marseille deck, then you learn um, you know, the, the French styling um, and way of reading the Marseille deck. If you want to, um, you know, you're using the Rider Waite deck, you're probably going to be picking up the Golden Dawn style. So mm-hmm. that's a school or tradition. And the same with Lenormand. Um, people object to the term schools. Um, um, what it oh. is is that um, each country, as books were translated or people were teaching each other within the country, they developed slight variations. So a lot of us think of Lenormand as being like learning a new language. And in that new language, there are a variety of dialects. So that, um, you know, a certain word in one country or concept in one country has a slightly different meaning in the neighboring country that just kind of grew up uh, because of local customs or whatever or or because of a teacher that Mm -hmm. was 
pretty influential. So, um, for instance, the bear card in Lenormand is um, in Germany the bear can be um, a very mature um, man, usually a businessman. It can be a policeman. It could be a lawyer. Uh, it could be your boss. Uh, but generally, the bear is a man, and it can be a grandfather, occasionally even somebody's father. So an authority figure that is male. Um, in, I think, the Dutch system, I tend to forget what, which is which, um, bear is female. So it's like mama bear that's very protective. So you still have the idea of policemen, of soldiers, um, or even a boss, um, but now it's the mama bear who's being very protective. Mm-hmm. So I tend to think of it as a protective authority figure. I tend to go slightly more towards the female side unless we're talking about a business situation, in which case you just have to check and see if it re- relates more to a man or a woman, which actually in our culture today is probably a a good thing to keep it more gender neutral and think of it as um, a protective, authoritative figure. Um, Usually bear is a a good figure, somebody who is going to help you, but um, put some negative cards around it and suddenly bear can start getting envious and jealous. Just like at work, where if you start really showing off really well at work, that supportive mentor can all of a sudden become very jealous of you. So if you think of it, um, you know, that way and realize that there are the options that sometimes it comes up as um, a parental figure, um, then, you know, you just have to check and see which one it is. Awesome. And, cool. and you know, in Tarot, uh, a lot of times, and I'll, I'll even say this too, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, ask me a question, I'll just pull one card. I could talk for an hour on one card and give you all sorts of information for your question. Um, but could you, can you really do that with Lenormand, or does Lenormand really rely on more of the connections between multiple cards in order to really understand what it's trying to convey? Yeah, Lenormand definitely has, I would say that its minimum base is two cards, uh, whereas with Tarot you can definitely work with one. Uh, with Lenormand, it doesn't, one card doesn't make much sense by itself. Um, two cards begin to um, define something a little more clearly, and it's not really till you get the third card that you've got any sense of direction where this concept or idea is going. And so, um, whereas two cards you might see as the minimum uh, for really getting an idea, um, to get a basic reading, um, you usually end up needing to pull at least a third card. Um, So I'd say, um, yeah. For instance, when I was talking about a, a protective authority figure, so you drew a card for a protective authority figure, uh, or or it could be um, stored money, money that is in stocks, money that's in property. Um, it's uh, it's also a money card. So how do you know which one it is? Is it money and resources, or is it a particular person? So you're going to need another card there to define it more specifically. Um, although the question will sometimes help if you've if you've got a very specific question that will 
often make clear which which um, possibility it is. Um, but the second card and then a third card to know where those that concept of that the two cards brought up where that goes. Am I making? Is that clear? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. I was, yeah, yeah. I was wondering that um, because Lenormand cards have such speci- it'll have like a variety of specific meanings where it might be an older man or purity or like I'm just thinking like the lily for example. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have had that. So like I, either this is <laughs> an older man or it, you know, and I was just like wondering like what, how to tell when it's. I'm trying to think of the other meanings of Lily, and I'm blanking. But um, um, virtue, um, virtue, any yeah. any kind of elder situation, uh, mm-hmm. and sex. Sex. That's right. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget that? That's of course. So I know. So if someone's asking you, like, will I get this job in six months? If and you have sex with an older person. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, there's the traditional route. <laughs> so it would well, be... If they ask, will you get the job in six months, one of the things is that most people who answer yes, no questions come up with a system. And tarot readers often also have a system. The most common uh, Lenormand system is that there are cards that are considered to be good cards and there are cards that are considered to be basically bad cards and then there are neutral cards. So there's about approximately nine um, good cards, nine bad cards, and then the rest are, are neutral with a slight tendency towards, um, you know, bad or good. Um, and so, like, Lily would basically be a neutral card. So if you're asking, you know, will I get this job within the next six months, Lily's not going to tell you yay or nay in you know, in terms of an, a clear answer on that. It's it's just too neutral in its um, orientation. If it was an advice card, what can I do to get that job, it would suggest being very virtuous, unless it's paired with a really negative card, in which case it might be the exact opposite, which would be to be very licentious or very sexy. <laughs> so... Uh- Lily Mountain <laughs> it would be like, do not, like, you know, if a mountain is an obstacle, yeah. uh, would that maybe say, like, okay, stop being, you know, start lying on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Mountain letter, start lying on your resume. And there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and, so, so, and in mm-hmm. Tarot, um, you know, there's many systems that have been um, come up with, I suppose, to do like timing. Is, can timing be done pretty specifically with the Lenormand? Or does it have to be built into the question? Um, actually, the Germans who originated Lenormand, uh, but contemporary German uh, writers, have come up with some very, very specific timing guidelines. Uh, you have to memorize them, and um, because they don't all make, some of them make sense in, in odd sorts of ways. A bouquet, a bouquet of flowers, that's usually an indicator of spring. Uh-huh. Uh, clover is something very quick, uh, and so is rider. The, the rider, uh, cavalier, um, is uh, something that moves very quick. Tree is very, very slow. So, um, and then some of the cards have specific dates. Um, are ranges of dates, and some of them, you know, have two or three years. 
um, as an indicator. So um, you can memorize those particular timing things, but then if you're doing a five-card reading, you might have five totally different timing indicators. So people who really get serious about this sometimes come up with what they call a timing board, which is um, a way that you specify a particular place, and whatever card comes up in that place will be the timing indicator. And you use very specific timing meanings for each card. So there are artificial systems that some people swear by. Um, I use some of the more general ones, like clover being something that's small and quick. Um, you know, it's a, a, a clover opportunity because clover is a small lock. is a very quick opportunity. It might be there for a day and then it's gone. You know, things mm-hmm. will change overnight. Um, so, you know, buy this now or the price goes up in 24 hours you know, <laughs> um, with Clover. So, um, yeah, you, I, I use some of the general indicators. But as far as I'm concerned with both Tarot and Lenormand, if you're really, really serious about timing, go to astrology. It was designed. <laughs> it's all based on timing. If, you, if it's really, <laughs> yeah. really important that you really understand the time, you know, when's the best time for you to get married, um, look to astrology. That's, that's just my personal opinion, having worked with the different systems. Mm-hmm. So, so when, you were, you were, when you were starting in getting into Littermond, or really, really getting to Littermond, um, there were a handful of decks and maybe a couple of books in English, and you were actually researching, you know, French, like old French material from the 1800s, and, because there was not a lot in the English-speaking world uh, on Lenormand. Now, that seems to be changing. Can you talk a little bit about how... Most of the work is actually in, in German, although there's been quite a bit written in, in French. And from what I... I don't read French. Um, Kathleen Matthews has been doing a lot of the research in the French work. Um, uh, from what I understand, the French um, authors tend to be more creative um, and coming up with all kinds of new spreads and different techniques to use with Lenormand. The Germans tend to be a little more uh, traditional. There's a very strong um, group of authors and decks that have come out of Belgium and the Netherlands, but primarily out of Belgium, written in Dutch language. Um, so, you know, those are, are kind of the main places. I would say Germany and, and Belgium are probably the two areas where there's um, the longest and most um, fixed uh, set traditions. So let me see. What was your question about? Oh, just Sorry. sort of the, the – um, so now the publishers, in English-speaking – or English publishers are starting to pick up seeing, you know – Llewellyn has a book out. Um, there are new out. decks coming out. Oh, three books. Hoo-hoo-ha. So just wondering, what, what do you see coming that way? And then do you have anything planned <laughs> as, to be, uh, as a part of this? Yeah. Well, I've been working on a Norman book for years now. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I was still in the learning phase, which actually had, there is a certain advantage of writing um, a, a beginner's book when you're still in relatively close to the learning phase because you're still thinking the way a learner thinks and you're not giving too big of chunks. But I really wanted to have a lot more under my belt in terms of um, 
you know, getting past that um, more mechanical stage into the stage where you start seeing things more organically. And um, But it does become a little bit more difficult when you're writing a book because, um, for instance, I'm always seeing, well, you can do it like this, but then you can also do this, or you <laughs> could do it that way. <laughs> and um, it, it really helps when you start out to be very precise, which is why some people say stick with a particular school. You know, learn a very very precise way, and it is an advantage in Norman, as far as I'm concerned, to learn things as precisely as possible when you're starting, and um, loosen up only when you've got a really good solid base. Um, if if you want precision, if you want to be concrete, precise, succinct, then that's the way to go. Um, and anyway, I'm working, um, yeah, I'm working on a book which someday, what I hope to do, which will be a little different than some of the others, is really make it very much a workbook because there are so many pieces uh, to learn and it helps to kind of have your hand held through trying out a lot of the different approaches um, and techniques. And once you've really examined them um, and tried them out for yourself and made a few mistakes and from those mistakes learned what works and doesn't work, then um, you, you, start seeing, you start seeing with the Lenormand eye. <laughs> well, you know, that would be one. I, I'm just thinking of your book, Tarot for Yourself, being um, such an amazing workbook. And I remember back in like... Oh, 2000 when a couple, some people I knew we, um, we were all learning tarot um, people sort of passed around well the tarot for yourself is the, the book when you're ready to get serious about this and ready to embody being able to read and to go beyond okay look up the meaning alright king of swords okay look up the meaning alright and I don't know tarot for yourself was so great because you're doing these readings and you're writing in the book it felt like I don't yeah. know it felt very scholarly so I, I, I adore that I still have my, my original copy and then I have a blank copy <laughs> to uh, yeah. reference um, but I'd love to see a, a, a Lenormand for yourself I guess yeah so, and it wouldn't necessarily be so much as reading for yourself although doing daily mm. readings is definitely helpful um, but to do the practice for, for yourself um, put, making those combinations and uh, what I found, so many people with the uh, Tarot for Yourself, they've shown me their old copies of the book that were handwritten in because it was a workbook and you were supposed to write in it, and layers and layers of comments because you start seeing um, you know, other possibilities or approaches or something that you wrote at a particular stage in your life. It, you get to look back at it and see how that played out in your life. You know, what was the real meaning of a particular situation that you didn't even realize you knew or understood, but you wrote it out right there in your book. Um, so I love the, the workbook that, uh, besides training you, is also um, giving you that perspective on your own growth, your own right. development, and your own meaning, coming to meaning of, of things in your life. Sometimes I look back at an early one and I think, oh, aren't you adorable? Twelve years ago, Charles. <laughs> like, aren't you just adorable? Oh, yes, you there. were. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, do you find 
just in what you've come across that the the books and the decks and things that are starting to proliferate, especially in the English speaking world, do you feel like there's by and large quality things coming out or do you feel like there's a lot of jumping on the bandwagon and so you kind of have to weed through to find the quality things? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there's a combination. Uh, of course, there's a lot of jumping on the bandwagon, um, but there's also some really good stuff. Um, the number one book in English that I would recommend for people right now is The Essential Lenormand by Rena George, R-A-N-A, first name and her last name is George. Um, and it's um, it, it it can feel a little bit overwhelming at first because she does start out giving you um, a vast array of meanings for each card. Um, you know, all you have to do at first is look at the simple meanings at the very top and then just keep going back to that list as you deepen and you can go deeper and deeper into alternate meanings and you start realizing that they really are related to each other. Um, they're just variations on it. So um, other than that, that would be the only caveat I would give is that you know you might feel a little overwhelmed when you first look at the list of meanings, but that's minor. Once you just take a deep breath and keep going through the book um, into all the examples because she does a fabulous job of teaching by example and seeing simple, sometimes simple, sometimes incredibly complex and uh, deeply touching examples of um, how the cards have come up in readings. And you remember the stories. So that's one of the most fabulous ways to learn is remembering, oh, Rena George said that about, uh, you know, when you're shopping, you know, fish comes up, big uh, fish is money. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the big shopping card. So, yeah, that's a good day to go shopping. Spend your money. <laughs> and, and also I think, you know, she's also really good because I have that book. And But also just taking a deep breath because jumping right into like a grand tableau can also feel overwhelming because you're just like, what am I supposed to do with all these cards in front of me? But she's really yeah. good at breaking it down into a step-by-step process. So it's not overwhelming if you just take a moment, step back, and you will approach it in little pieces rather than trying to take in 36 cards at once kind of thing. And so. actually, um, almost all of the short Lenormand spreads um, it, at least the ones you come across here. I think the French have varied it more, but um, the the general ones you come across, the three-card spread, five-card spread, what's called the square of nine, those are segments of uh, a grand tableau. So um, when somebody's trying to teach you how to read a grand tableau, one of the things they might say is, well, you read the first three cards to get the general theme. Mm-hmm. And so that's a three-card reading. And right. then you can read the first line, which is eight cards or nine cards, depending on how you lay them out. And, you know, that's, that gives you a, a long sentence, maybe even a, you know, a short paragraph, is learning to read that uh, segment of cards, a line of cards. So, um, yeah, I, most of the short spreads are really segments of the grand tableau that people have uh, taken out of the grand tableau to teach you how to read just that one segment, and then you can put it back in the grand tableau and see how it works in with everything else. 
And do do you recommend against correspondences? Like in Tarot, there's been all sorts of correspondences with numerology and Kabbalah and astrology, etc. You know, can that really work with Lenormand, or do you recommend just leaving Lenormand as it is and not trying to suddenly make all of these correspondences to other systems? Yeah, I highly recommend uh, not making correspondences to other systems with a couple of little caveats. Um, there's two ways, in, uh, traditional ways that you see Lenormand cards. One is that they have a playing card at the top or somewhere on it or some indication of it, and um, other decks have a little verse instead of a playing card. The playing card is the more traditional way. But standard playing card meanings and tarot meanings don't relate to those playing cards at all. Um, for instance, the suit of clubs um, is the absolutely worst suit, and the suit of spades, which is in uh, English and French tradition, um, that's usually the worst. But in Lenormand, the spade cards are the best. Uh, spades wow. and hearts. Um, so that's because it goes back to spades being green leaves in Germ- the German suits, and clubs um, are the acorns or the food of peasants, uh, you know, when you're really <laughs> poor and down and out in uh, the old German suits. So um, if you uh, really want to use an association to playing cards, you really need to learn um at least the basics, at least what the suits indicate in the old German system. And there's now uh, information on the Internet. And uh, Kathleen Matthews is going to have another book coming out um, soon that will have some more information on that. Uh, So that kind of information is coming out now, and you can get a general outline if you want to make that association. some people just uh, pay attention to the court cards so that Lily's has uh, the uh, king on it and therefore it's associated with a man or a father because of that king at the top of the Lily's card. Um, is it the king of spades, I think, or uh, king of hearts? I can't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. So you sh- if you're going to use them, you should remember which ones are which. Uh, so that association, and a few, some people use uh, some form of numerology to get an additional card. Like you can do a three-card reading, and if you feel you need a little more information, you can add up the numbers on the card to get an additional card. Um, that's I do that occasionally. Um, I I think it's a bit of a crutch, and um, why not just draw another card? But that one's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the only correspondences that you know astrological correspondences people have uh come up with sets of them um one uh the mystical lenormand deck has actually a very well thought out system of astrological correspondences but i would recommend not using them i think they're more confusing and take you um you know get you away from what how Lenormand really works. Mm. If you start concentrating on that, you're going to get off track. Right. And so when someone starts reading tarot, the first, one of the first questions they have is, what deck should I buy? How important is that in Lenormand? Well, because of um, the 
the possibility of doing short-run small numbers of decks at a very reasonable price. There have been, and there's only 36 cards, and they're very simple images, everyday images. Um, There have been dozens and dozens and dozens of new decks coming out, Um, you know, um, self-published decks, and more are starting to come out from big publishers. Um, I think it's um, a lot of them get very ornate. Um, there, some of them, you know, have color themes. Um, some of them have, you know, they they find pretty pictures, and sometimes it's hard to figure out what the image is actually <laughs> of. Yes. Um, for instance, if there's uh, a cute child being held by a woman, is it the woman card or is it the child card? Um, sometimes you can't tell. And so the, um, the older decks, the 19th century decks, ha- even though there may be a slight scene there, there's still the emphasis on the image and the figure. And when you lay it out in the grand tableau, you can tell exactly what image is where. Some of these decks, you lay it out in the grand tableau, and it's a big mush. You know, it's a whole bunch of greenery or lots and lots of flowers in every card um, <laughs> because it's a I, – I hate to use any titles of anything, but let's say Tarot with the Roses, um, mm-hmm. you know, because there's roses on every card. It's like, what? You know, well, where's the bouquet card? Uh, <laughs> you can't find it yeah. in the midst of it. <laughs> So, so a, a um, clear image on each card. A clear <laughs> image on each card. There are some modern decks that are very, very good that way, and any of the 19th century decks or reproductions of them um, are usually very, very clear. So I would recommend getting one of the classic 19th century um, deck reproductions, um, and and then you can get as many as you want of the modern versions, um, you know, because you think they're so pretty or um, <laughs> or you're obsessed <laughs> like I am. Uh, I, think there's or, a, I think there's a lot of anticipation for the Burning Serpent that's coming up yes. from Rachel Pollack and um, Robert Place. Yeah, there there is. And um, the deck is designed to be read in ways very differently from Lenormand, although you can also read it as a straight Lenormand deck. But because there are, um, the images contain so much more information in them, and deliberately so, um, it's much um, easier, I think, to read that as an or what I call an oracle deck. Mm-hmm. And And... The Oracle deck means that you may be getting information from, you know, a whole lot of different uh, places or ways. So you're not um, saying it's heretical. Hmm? <laughs> you're not saying it's heretical. I'm just no, saying. it's, um, I, I call it a hybrid deck in that yeah. it can be read as Lenormand, but it also can be read as an Oracle deck, and it's not really designed to be um it's designed to be more of an oracle deck than it is to be a straight, pure Lenormand deck. Yes. So, but I would call it a hybrid, and it's up to the individuals. Um, one of my pet peeves is what I call cute mice, 
Mice is a very nasty card in Lenormand. It's the thief card. Um, it destroys things. It dirties things. Um, it steals or gnaws away and eats away and worries things. Um, so you don't want wherever mice is. It's a it's a problem. Um, and people create these uh, images of the mice that show them being absolutely cute and playful and so much fun and so adorable. And, you know, it's kind of hard to sit there and realize that this is one of the really bad cards when you've got these absolutely adorable, cute mice there. So, um, you know, it's you don't really want to get confused when you're reading Lenormand. You want to keep it very straight and very clear. Right. So speaking of decks, do you have any decks at hand? Uh, you mean do I have one right here next to me? Yes. Yes. Um, do you have both Tarot and Lenormand or just one or the other? I've got both. Oh, excellent. So my uh, thought here was as we move to the conclusion of our conversation is to use each one of them to look at a question about the other. And the question is basically the same. What is the next evolutionary step for Tarot or for Lenormand, but use the opposite deck. So if we're saying what's the next evolutionary step for Tarot, pull from the Lenormand. And when uh-huh. we say what's the next evolutionary step for Lenormand, pull from Tarot. Oh, so, um, so uh, the next evolutionary step for Lenormand, I've got to draw uh, Tarot. Um, let me start out with the tarot with just one card. We'll try that out and see how that works. Okay? okay. Yeah, because it's, kind of like, it's kind of like Rachel Pollack's wisdom readings. You know, ask the really big yeah. question and just pull a card and see what it says. <laughs> yeah, so I'm pulling a tarot card for the next evolutionary step for Lenormand, and I get the Queen of Pentacles. Wow. Well, the Queen of Pentacles, this is the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, and she does look like she's... Uh, examining something very closely, which could easily be um, the Lenormand cards are spread on her lap. Um, so the next evolutionary step would be um, that it will, and pentacles, it's, um, you know, um, earth, grounded, practical, um, reliable, um, you know, when you want something that you can feel secure and certain about with, um, with pentacles. And um, so um, my sense is it will be in everybody's home um, as something they can turn to when they want some kind of really practical advice. And there's a little bunny in the corner, which uh, we tend to think of bunnies as being very fertile. So that's one reason why I'm saying it will be in every home, this kind of uh, fertile spread of um, Lenormand uh, in everybody's home so that they can get practical uh, reliable, concrete um, answers. Does that work? Oh, it does. And it I makes like me it. think of what we were talking about because with the queen, you have the feminine, which could be associated with the right hand, the right side of the brain. But with the pentacles, that's much more practical and pragmatic, which to me is much more of the left side of the brain. So there's this nice marriage on that card of, yes, we have the intuitive aspect of Lenormand, but don't neglect the practical, pragmatic, and already proven way of working with it that has been done and works rather than trying to suddenly morph it into some sort of 
tarot light uh, kind of thing. Right. And to me, the Queen of Pentacles is so much in the home, people in the home doing things, people comfortable, getting comfortable with something. Um, and, and so, I don't know, I'm thinking mom bloggers. <laughs> um, that, that mother, I don't know, the mothering kind of, uh-huh. It, having it be something comfortable and, and familiar and, and, and close rather than very grand. Yeah, yeah. And there is sort of a lineage. I, I've collected um, several hundred years' worth of um, pictures, uh, mostly genre paintings and prints of uh, cartomancers. And, you know, 95% of the images that I have found are of women reading. So, you know, nothing against you all, you guys, but um, there's <laughs> still the this bit of a lineage of, um, you know, the, the Lenormans closer to the cardamancy, and these pictures are uh, all of people reading playing cards. Not uh, There's only one or two with tarot cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm talking about one or two out of, out of hundreds mm-hmm. until you, uh, through the beginning of the 20th century. Um, so it is still um, part of that women's lineage, women's heritage, even though there have been men, of course, all along who've um, partaken of. Uh, we men will just take our runes and go play in the corner. There we go. <laughs> oh, no, it's wonderful, I oh, think. Uh, don't. <laughs> I love <laughs> having you all as part of the process. But, uh, and and that, uh, that presentation you gave about the, the cardamancers, I think it's available on Global Spiritual Studies if anyone wants to see it. It's actually very, very cool to see who the readers were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always call um, divination um, women's oldest profession. <laughs> I really think it was there before any of the others, women as oracles, sibyls, and diviners. Yeah, I, I would concur. Yeah. So do you have the next evolutionary step for Tarot, as as told to us by the Lenormand? <laughs> and for that, I have to pick an absolute minimum of two cards. So I'll start out with two, and if I need a third one, I will. So, um, okay, Lenormand. We've got um, Tree and... Dork. Oh, interesting. Because tree is um, a, is something very long lived. It's health. Um, in a grand tableau, the closer it is to you, the more there may could be issues with health. But on its own, it's just um, in general speaking about you know the growth or development of something and its lineage. Um, not so much. Uh, um, nuclear family, but rather that kind of sense of a DNA, something going through many, many, many generations, and what's rooted and long-lived. So trees have to do with, um, you know, a long-lived patience for things to grow and develop in their own way. And then the second card is stork, Um, and stork is a card of change. It's a card Mm -hmm. of migration. So to me, it's um, it's saying you know that um, basically uh, tarot it has been going through and will continue to grow through a very long continual development of slow change. Um, is that enough? And just those two cards to. Um, I like it. I mean, when I did your um, your square of nine technique, when I just wanted to ask the question, what was the uh, 
What is, who, what, is a, what does it mean to be a diviner, actually? The center card, the card, the, the subject was the, the, um, the stork. So uh-huh. I, I, I can see that connection with divination. The, the, um, I, my takeaway from that particular reading, which is different from this one, was that the reader is an agent of change. And so would that suggest that... So you mentioned the, 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 the tree, the DNA of the, the tarot, like the, the, the long-rooted system. So is it, does that mean like, so if, if Stork has changed, does that mean like the long tradition of, of tarot is, is changing or what am I? Um, well, I would see it as, um, yeah, uh, um, changing lineage uh, that happens uh, very slow. So it's, um and I would see that as kind of pointing to the whole history of tarot and that it's just going to continue to keep going through its own evolution. You know, it's going to keep evolving. Um, Stork can also be improvement, so we could say improve, but that's always a perspective. Um, we're always thinking things are improving. Um, uh, okay. Well, I, I, yeah. almost, I almost might look at those and think that it indicates tarot is going through a genetic mutation. And that it's going to start branching off into some new way or, no, or some new form, perhaps catalyzed by this rising of the Lenormand coming into vogue. <laughs> I'll use that word again. <laughs> um, and that there, there's some, because a genetic mutation happens over a long period of time in evolution, and so yeah. it's it's something is is changing and shifting, or the strands are twisting ever so slightly differently because that DNA root, but then I was thinking of the branches from the tree, and it's going to start branching off in some new direction, or some new branch of tarot is going to start appearing at, uh, uh, very soon. I, would, would this combination of cards, like the stork, would that give you an indication of timing, like soon versus a long time away? Um, stork is usually um, pretty current, because when change comes up, mm-hmm. it's usually change now, but um, it doesn't have a strong timing system, whereas Tree, uh, one of the central meanings of tree is that idea of, um, you know, a long time, uh, a need for patience. Um, And I would caution you a little bit in terms of the idea of branching. Even going into the rootedness is a little bit, we're pushing the envelope on what the card means and starting to get into symbology of it, which is more tarot-like. Um, it's, you know, so I'm just warning you that <laughs> it's going a little bit far afield um, from a very traditional stance. If you're looking at it as an oracle, of course, you can make all kinds of associations. But the well, more no, you're being strict, Lenormand, the more you're going to keep it to the major key words. So perhaps it's just, it's going through a change, but it's a change that's been ever-evolving and it's a natural evolution of change rather than some out-of-the-blue, poof, change. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing sudden um, about that. Let me draw one more card right. just to see, because like I said, the two, you get sort of an, uh, um, a concept, but you don't always know where it's going. Right. And um, actually, the, the third card that I drew um, is not, doesn't really give us an end point, but it's the key, which basically Ooh. says, yes, certainly important (laughs) so um you know the key is um you know 
it, it indicates it can be opening or closing. Uh, in general, we tend to think of it as uh, providing access to mm. something or a solution to something. But uh, the the main thing is it it's um, you know the key or important or significant uh, certain thing is that I would say that tarot is something that's long lasting and continues to evolve. And could the key repre- suggest that I don't know is one of the interpretations of traditionally of key like the thing that is needed? Um, or is that not? Am I making that up? I could see where that could be an association. It's not um, part of my keyword set. Okay, got it. But I could see that that somebody might have mentioned that one. See that there's one of the things that's happening with Lenormand, and we have to be really careful about it, is that with modern uses, we have new things like we've got the internet. What card is the internet on? You know, in Lenormand, <laughs> you know, we have to make mm-hmm. that up by association and so there's constantly new concepts that are being added the uh, struggle is to try and have it something that somebody in russia because there's a large lenormand group in russia can somebody in russia say oh yeah you're right that is the internet would they immediately get it and agree with you or is it something where they're going well maybe or you know i tend to think of it more this way um, so what we're constantly finding out with the Internet, we do have a very international group, is are the associations that are being made ones that people in other countries can all associate and agree with? Mm, interesting. You know, I've wondered about that just because so many of the, the key concepts for what Lenormand cards mean they came from the 1840s. I don't know. I just imagine if you're a terror or a fortune teller in the 1840s, it's a little easier because a merchant comes to you. He wants to know about his business, you know, the one that he's in because it's the one his father was in. Like a single woman comes to you, she wants a husband, you know, because she's not looking for a job. Um, yeah. I'm painting with a broad brush, but it's harder now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and just for in- information, generally, uh, stars is seen as the Internet, the idea of a net of stars. Mm-hmm. And oh, like stars that. is also a card that uh, relates to technology. Uh, so uh, the Internet by itself is, but, uh, again, you really need two cards. So you have garden and stars, and now you have social networking on the Internet because mm. garden is society, um, the public. So um, then you've got a clear image because by itself, stars could be a lot of things. But when you put the two together, you really start narrowing it down and saying, you know, oh, yeah, it's that social connection that happens over this net. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and thanks for being willing to pull cards like that. Oh, yeah, it's fun. I love doing that. Um, and you have, uh, well, I know of a couple of places that people can find you coming up in the next few months. Um, will, you, will you be at BATS in San Francisco? Well, technically in yes, San Jose. Yes, I will be. <laughs> I had to miss it last year, and I was so disappointed. So I'm definitely going to be there with bells on. Excellent. And that's um, August 23rd and 24th, I want to say. Um, and people can find out about that by just either Googling SF BATS which stands for Bay Area Tarot Symposium, or Daughters of Divination uh, is the website where they can find that. Um, and you also have um, something the Omega in Ontario. Institute. Oh, huh? 
Is that coming up soon, in June or oh, July? Make- in July, everybody come to upstate New York, yes. uh, the biggest New Age summer camp, the Omega Institute. Rachel Pollock and I co-teach for five days, and it's an amazing experience. It's like an in-depth plunge into, and this year we're doing Tarot and Lenormand because uh, Rachel's got the Burning Serpent. Mm. Uh, it's, I've got the standard uh, Lenormand and, of course, Tarot. So we're going to be looking at that whole cardamantic, uh, oracular, and um, specifically Lenormand and Tarot um, uh, divination process. And those Omega weeks are great. I've done that before. And, you know, you're out kind of separated from the world. You don't even get good Internet or phone reception. <laughs> and so you just are really immersed in doing well, when I was there, it was just Tarot, but you're just there immersed doing Tarot like practically 24-7 other than when you're sleeping and eating. And you, yeah. you just are able to kind of go off in this other space and just live and breathe it so fully. It's great. I would recommend that highly to people. Yeah, um, me too. I love it. I love doing it. And and then in October, you're in Ontario, Canada? Yes. Yes, I'll be up in Canada, and we're doing a fabulous weekend with uh, Tarot with me, and then on Sunday you have a choice of either some Lenormand with me or um, uh, learning to scry with uh, Crystal, uh, yeah, to, um, you know, Crystal Gaze. And that's the weekend of October 24th, 25th, and 26th. Thank you. Um, and then, of course, they can always keep up with you, I believe, on your blog at marygreer.wordpress.com. Yeah, I've got to update my uh, schedule. I'm also going to be in China. If any of your listeners are going to be in Beijing yeah. in September, I'll be there. Wow. Is, there a, for, is that for Tarot or Lenormand? That's Tarot. And I'll be in London um, in, also in October. And in places like China, is there a large Tarot community? Huge. Well, I mean, there's so many millions of people there, so what's huge to us is probably small to them. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, because there's been the whole, um, you know, comic and, uh, you know, um, animated stuff that you also find in Japan and Korea is also in China uh, and as well as their own lineage of fortune telling and so tarot has really um, been growing by leaps and bounds over the last 10 years or more. And have you found that their approach to tarot is is very different from how we think of tarot and our approach or have they kind of followed the western approach? Um, I'm going to find out when I'm there but I think they've been very strongly influenced by a western approach. So um, uh, Jim Wanless has taught there quite a bit. Rachel was there last year, Rachel Pollock. And, um, you know, they've been uh, connecting with people on the Internet. Um, Quite a few people from China have come to various U.S. conferences 
um, to learn. So I think they're becoming a little more psychologically oriented as well as picking up some of the Kabbalah and, um, you know, some Western astrology and so on, you know, the, the correspond- correspondences. So I think they're getting more sophisticated um, about that. But I'm going to find out a lot more when I'm there in September. And then people can just check your blog for a report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope to have more to say about it once I get a chance to really talk to people there. But um, I think two of my books have been translated into um, Chinese. Oh, wow. Good on you. Yeah. yeah. You're an international woman of mystery now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't have the you know huge numbers of translations, but I do have some very interesting ones. You know, the, they've been translated in Japan and Korea and Taiwan and uh, mainland China and Russia. And, yeah, but I still don't have a copy of my book in Spanish, even though there have been lots of people who wanted to translate it, but not a publisher that's picked it up. Wow. Right, wonderful. That's... So people can go to New York, San Jose, Canada, or China to find you. Also, do you, do you ever do readings in London? Do you, do you ever do, you do readings um via your site, or if people aren't going to be in those areas, can they still get a Mary Greer reading? Yes, yes. I do phone and Skype readings, and you can contact me through my blog. There's a, um, a contact address or um, form on there. Yeah. yeah. Which and will I'll, just remind I'll people about it. And we'll, and we'll just remind people that's Mary Greer, G-R-E-E-R, dot WordPress dot com. Well, we would like to extend a thousand gratitudes upon your head for having been willing to join us this evening. I had a lot of fun with you all. Thank you. Oh, bless you and keep you. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. <laughs> and that has been Mary Kay Greer, High Priestess of the Tarot World, Luminary, Innovator, Revolutionary. And a snazzy um, dresser. That's oh, oh it is it. true. <laughs> Wonderful scarf. Yes, so thank you very much. Thank you. And coming up after this short little break, Charlie and I will be back for our monthly Living the Queer Life segment where we will be pulling cards in order to give us all a little bit of insight and guidance on how to best navigate through the coming month so that we can be our best and fullest queer selves, queer in the broadest term. So stay tuned for that. Are you ready to help give everyone their... I'm ready to try. 
They're okay. words of wisdom and insight into uh, how to be as there, queer as possible. Is there a particular thing we want to look at? Do we want to narrow that at all? I think not. I think we're just going to oh, okay. throw it out there. <laughs> I asked because I was, like, I was like, I was feeling brave. I was like, I'm going to use Lenormand. I can do this. I, I, I'm a big kid. I can, I, sure. And then I looked at what I got and I was like, I, I just don't. <laughs> I'm not sure. I got, um. Well, you might be having sex with an old person during this month. No, or I mean, you might be fine. having a great business opportunity. No. <laughs> uh, okay. So I got child book ship. And I was like, all right, okay. All right. Child is. It, hang on, I'm gonna get my notes out. You're getting, you get. I, I, I cannot wing it. I am not there yet. So, child is card thirteen. Card thirteen, because I'm like, because uh, like it's a secret child. Okay, so youth, innocence, new beginnings, or small things. All right. So, I'm gonna imagine for just a minute that so the youthful new beginning that um, for the queer world. All right. How do we get there? Book. Okay, book is secret, um, but let's see. So, uh, have uh, elective surgery and qu- no. Um, okay, book. So, secret knowledge, expertise. Um, uh, discovery. Well, then, okay. What's the third card? The third card is ship, which is travel. That that's the easy one in this one. Okay, so travel is um, it, it's. Hang on, let me make certain that I'm... All right, travel, business, international, or foreign. Um, so, okay. Uh, oh, foreign, okay. So, I know there have... I, have I mean, and, and Mary cautioned us to have a specific question, and here we are being I know, flagrant. I know, but I have my um, interpretation. But, so, but you're just wondering in the next couple of months what's going to come up with that. And um, so, a new beginning... Well, particularly in a month. Particularly yeah, so, this month, because it's always from show to show. So between now and oh, yeah. okay. June between 10th. A month. Um, well, so if we look at that ship as meaning, because well, the third card Mary mentioned might tell you where it's going. That tells me that it, it's going overseas. Um, I know that in the queer world, okay, well, if I'm defining queer as gay for just a minute, <laughs> uh, then there's been a lot of talk about treatment in other countries. Um, changes in the world that happened with Russia back in the winter. There's been a lot of emphasis on that, or there was a lot of emphasis on that, and it wasn't looking good. It was looking very, uh, not so great. Um, So my take on this particular arrangement of the cards, um, child, book, ship, um, I'm I'm still working on that book, but it looks like there might be an international... uh, some some sort of new beginning or rebirth or renaissance um, <laughs> across the seas, and so so that second card is usually the it's like the adjective adverb, right? It's the, that that second card modifies the first one, so it tells you like a bookish. I don't mean like uh, like uh, like a bookish child, and I don't mean like a child who likes books, but like that card. It's like it's the child, and it's whatever the next card ish. So if it had been ship, it would have been a shipish child. Does that make sense? So <laughs> a bookish child would be, um, a nerd. And then now, Oh wait. Okay. Hang on. Uh, 
Shall I tell you my interpretation? There's going to be education. There's going to be education. I'm just going out there. So there is a new <laughs> emphasis on education around the world. And I think also this might mean, um, okay, and this is the, 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 a non-Lettermann thing to go broaden it, but it might be we need to become more educated about what's going on around the world. Um, sometimes it just becomes bleak and you want to just turn away. You're like, oh, what's going on in, in Iran or Uganda or something? I just can't. I just... I, I'm just going to, you know, read a celebrity article. Um, and so child book ship might suggest that learning about how things are going internationally will be of great use to our people. Does that make sense? It does. And I see okay. where you're going with that because you're going with the the, the grander queer as gay theme yeah. In, but in, if I meant uh, the personal, okay, so a personal take, if, it, if we forget about gay, like gay, but just about, que- you know, queer discovery of self, um, I would say that there are, for, if book becomes personal, then it's sort of their secrets within. And so for you, you specifically, the listener, you, um, and this is okay. This is a more psychological approach, which is kind of maybe more of a little burning serpent kind of a thing. But um, child book ship. I mean, that might mean that a new beginning for you personally, a um, a fresh start, uh, a more innocent time, can begin by uh, well, edu- I'm going to say edu- I still see the book as education or looking into looking into because secrets. If it's personal, it's not going to be a secret. But um, and. I don't know. Having this process of learning, you're learning about like making a, like a, a self discovery, a journey of self discovery. Uh, it'll take you places <laughs> with that shift card. You're going places. Um, and because it's Lenormand, I I'm going to be less uh, uh, abstract about that. It might mean travel is needed. Well, so here would be my interpretation of that. Okay. Trying to be very Lenormandish in terms of staying very you know, within the meanings of the cards and all of that. I've already learned my lesson once tonight about not, you know, branching off into oh, goodness. ways of looking at well, it. Now you're never... uh, so I would say that, and what I'm going to say is, if you're listening to this, this would apply whenever you're hearing this, because we always hear the messages we need to hear at the moment we need to hear them. So if you're listening live or sometime during this month, it applies to this month. But if you're listening... You know, in 2015, then this also would apply because you're hearing this at the moment you need to hear it. But I would look at those three cards and say, now is the time to start researching something that has to do with foreign travel or something that takes you to a foreign place or re- and, and it's particularly places that you've never been before that are a mystery to you because you've never been there. Um, and and regard, I would say you will know what area of your life that may apply to because it could be a personal trip that you've been thinking about. Now is the time to start researching and looking into information that you don't know or don't have about that. Um, it could be a work situation. Now is the time to start researching information about that international job you want or that job that you want that um, involves a lot of travel, particularly maybe foreign travel, is part of the job. Um, but that's that to me was the kind of the quick and dirty interpretation was mm. it's now time to start researching something mm-hmm. related to foreign travel that you have been considering 
or have wanted to do, um, and in particular researching places that are new to you rather than some place that you've been mm-hmm. before. You should. We, people should be going to Rhinebeck, New York, to attend Reader Studio that's with Mary right. Greer. You just that's heard it here. And now that's right. Now, <laughs> so as soon as you finish listening to this show, you're going to start googling and researching the Omega I, Institute. I've gone with, in orbits a little bit while Mary was talking to see <laughs> if I could afford to go because the class sounded so interesting. So this might have been a reading just for me. <laughs> but no, it's reading for everyone who heard it. But I'm my my take on that is ooh, Buffalo. I mean not Buffalo, Rhinebeck, New York. How how do I make that happen? So I'll tell you the best way to do it is to fly to that? New York. But what I do is I fly the weekend. So it's a Monday through Friday at the mm-hmm. Omega Institute. So I fly out on Friday and I spend the weekend in New York City, mm-hmm. and then I take the train from New York City up to uh, Rhinebeck. And it's a beautiful trip. It's a couple of hours. It goes right through the Hudson Valley, right along the river. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a really, really pretty trip to take because it's like through the woods and the hills and you're right along the river and it's just really pretty getting there. Um, mm. And then I go Monday through Friday and then I take the train back to New York City and spend the following weekend in New York City as well, kind of to decompress which sounds weird, I know, in New York City, <laughs> uh, and then fly back either on that Sunday or that Monday. So there's, there's my recommendation on what to start researching for people on taking that trip to someplace you've never been before, someplace foreign. Or start, re- researching, start researching that cruise you always wanted to take. <laughs> Excellent. How, so what did you get, my dear? Well, what I got was the Five of Swords. I feel like we should have a little sound effect, like dum dum dum. Bum bum. The Five of Swords. <laughs> so, um, and you know, this isn't one of the easiest cards or the most pleasant cards in the deck. No. So sometimes the tra- if we wanted to use the Lenormand approach, then the traditional meaning of this card a lot of times is either uh, extreme. Uh, strife or being in almost like being on a battleground Um, and sometimes it very traditionally means divorce but I would look at the five of swords as this is the month where it's time to start recognizing that it's a fight nobody's going to win everybody keeps getting hurt and perhaps it's time to divorce myself from this to walk away from this to be done with this rather than to keep subjecting myself to it. It's gone on long enough. Um, Also, the Five of Swords, a lot of times for me, can be about comparison. And this is a month to really pay attention to how often you fall into the trap of comparing yourself to someone or something else in order to somehow justify feeling as if you are less than. Because... We compare and then we think, I don't have as much as them. I'm not as talented as that. I wish I could be as good in this as they are or whatever. And that can be a trap that is just going to create negative confusion and kind of this, um, it's kind of like a battlefield of the mind that we want to try to work actively and conscientiously to avoid falling into and recognize that we don't have to be the same 
in terms of comparison in order to have something just as valuable to offer. Uh, one deck I have, the Osho Zen, actually has an image of an oak tree and a bamboo. Mm-hmm. And so it says, you know, if, if, if they were comparing themselves to each other in a negative way, then the bamboo would say, oh, I'm just not as big and as strong as, you know, the oak tree is. Because whenever a storm comes, I get knocked from side to side. And the oak tree may say, you know, oh, look at that bamboo. They're so flexible. They don't have to stand so strong and solid against every storm that comes. They can just kind of relax and go with where the wind is blowing so they can kind of move back and forth. But in a sense, they both have their strengths and they both serve their purposes. And we wouldn't want one to be the other Um, because that oak tree is steadfast and lasts for a long time. That bamboo is much more flexible and adaptable and can be used in a lot of different ways. But we need both. And that's the important part of this month is to recognize what we have to offer is something that is also just as valuable and just as needed in the world, even if it's different from what somebody else is doing or offering, rather than thinking we have to be like someone or something else and creating that conflict in ourselves. So walk away, people. Divorce yourself from that way of thinking. Hmm. Interesting. So sometimes I take... So usually when people, when tarot readers read the Five of Swords, they see the client or themselves as that person walking away. I sometimes, in an advice position, think about that person holding the swords. And this sometimes is my um, win-at-any-cost card. It's not a place I often um, default to, but it's something I do consider. Sometimes it means push for what you need. I think in times of conflict, yes, this could be a time to walk away or or just win. win. Don't play fair. But if I I thought of it in combination with what came up for you, Mm -hmm. then there seems to be much more about it's time for something new. Mm-hmm. And it's time to research new options and a way to get away from, get out of, or move away from something with that ship, mm-hmm. you know, rather than to stay in something and keep trying or keep fighting for. Because that baby seems to indicate we need something new, we need a change. And the book says not something we've already known, but something that is more mysterious or unknown to us. And the ship. Mm-hmm there's a need for traveling away from it or some sort of movement to happen rather than to stay in. So that's to me just combining this with the cards that came up for you is why mm-hmm. I would look at it in that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very cool. Well, I think that's going to move us to the conclusion of our show once again. All right. Another, another month. All good things must come show. to an end. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. true, unfortunately. Uh, we will remind people that you can always find us and contact us at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. We're always happy to have you come there and like the page, leave your comments, leave your feedback, leave your questions. Um, the Amethyst Oracle is on every second Tuesday of the month. So that means we will be back here again with you. Uh, on June 10th, Tuesday, June 10th, 8 p.m. Pacific. And I will say thank you to my co-host, Charlie Harrington, 
for being here with me once again. (laughs) A real slide. Hopefully of a banana cake. And we will look forward to having you join us here once again next month. Until then, enjoy and stay queer. Divination with a queer Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney. Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.